solicit your prayers this morning. I am getting over a cold this weekend. It's been difficult. But needless to say, there is a word from the Lord. This is the beginning of the Advent season. We're marching towards Christmas. This is a time that we take to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would that the church would take more than just celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. But at this time that you would also consider the life of Jesus and what the significance of his birth brought into the world. And this morning, I, I kind of want to talk to you about that, what some of the things that, that, that the significance of his birth brought into this world. So if you would, turn to, with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. And we'll begin our reading at verse number six. Isaiah the ninth chapter, verse number six, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall no end, be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Just for, for a few moments, I'd like to take for this thought. Jesus came to give peace. Jesus came to give peace. When we look at the story of Jesus' birth, we see how God came to the lowest of people to announce his arrival. He did not come to the kings and the governors, but he came to the lowly shepherds, the people who are of low estate. And understanding there is a reason for this, because that's the type of kingdom that Jesus would come. That's what he would bring. He did not come to be Lord over the whole earth. But he came with a purpose. And it was a far-reaching and a long-reaching purpose. You see, had Jesus just come to be king of that particular time, those were the only folk that would have been blessed by his kingdom. But because he came that he might give his life for us, that we might be able to experience this new kingdom 
some 2,000 years after his death is amazing. And so that's why I'm so thankful and so appreciative of Jesus coming in his purpose and staying in his purpose as God had dictated, as the Old Testament prophets had prophesied. In our text, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is very interesting as a prophet because he is known as the eagle-eyed prophet. And the reason why they call him the eagle-eyed prophet is because he was so accurate and so pinpoint on his prophecies. As a matter of fact, he prophesied in the seventh chapter that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And understand that that was 700 years before it actually happened. Now, if that's not an eagle eye, then you tell me what is. If that does not come from an almighty God, then you tell me what does. And what it tells us that, that, that all of Scripture can be counted on. We can depend on it. If the word of God says it, it's going to come to pass. In particular with this prophet here. Because this prophet's book exemplifies the entire Bible. Just like the Bible has 66 books in it. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. And just like the Bible is divided up into 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, Isaiah's book can be broken down into the same thing in that, that he pronounced judgment from chapter 1 through 39. And then he prophesied the promise of God's restoration and healing of the nation. Isaiah was a very important figure. And he prophesied during the reign of four kings. He prophesied over the southern kingdom of Judah. In the history of Judah, history of Israel, God was pronouncing judgment on them. They had rose up and decided that they no longer want to serve God. And understand that when you make a conscious decision that you're going to rebel against God, when you make a conscious decision that you no longer want to listen or hear from God, then you need to understand that judgment will come your way. You, you, you're exercising mercy right now, but judgment will come. You will not submit to him. And these people here, these people were a stiff-necked people. God had been good to them. He had blessed them. They were his people. But yet they rejected him. Yet they went running after other gods. And in light of this, God raises up a prophet in Isaiah. And he tells Isaiah, go to him and let them know that judgment is coming. As a matter of fact, in, 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 the, in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, he talks about woe unto them that will substitute good for evil 
and evil for good. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Light for darkness and darkness for light. And that's exactly where we are today. People are calling good bad. They're calling bad good. We're living in those times. And God is not happy. And understand that as a result of the decisions that we make, even if they're the small decisions, when they go against God, there's consequences. We need to understand that God is a righteous judge. He's a loving and a compassionate God, but he is a God of justice. And he will deal with us in our moments of wrong decisions, of wanting things our way and how we want them. He writes here about the coming Messiah. In this text, that's, 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 that's what this whole text is about, is about the coming of the Prince of Peace. He says, for unto us a child is born and the son is given. This is a direct association with the Messiah, with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is that prophesied son of the living God. Did you, did you not know that this, this had been prophesied not just only by Isaiah, but it has been prophesied even back to the book of Genesis. When the first family failed, when Adam and Eve sinned before God, and he told them, especially Eve, that you'll give birth, and it'll come through pain and suffering. But he talks about that seed as being one who would crush the serpent's head and that it would bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy of the, of the coming Messiah. That it would be necessary for something and someone to die for the sins of the world. Because if not, we'd have to die for our own sin. But here back in the garden, there was a disruption between the fellowship between God and man. There was no peace between God and man. There was nothing but enmity between God and man. And it had absolutely nothing to do with God. But it had everything to do with our sinfulness. So there was no peace. The only thing we had coming was what God declared. In the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. So there was a hit put out on all of us. But here Isaiah prophesies about this prince of peace. Now, now understand that peace, as in the Bible, is not how we see peace. 
See, we see peace as an absence of adversity. When everything is going well. When everything is just, just beautiful. There's no problems. There's plenty of money in the bank. Kids are acting right. Oh, that don't work. <laughs> My kid's looking at me. <laughs> but we think it, everything has to be perfect in order for us to experience peace. But it's exactly the opposite. You see, this peace that God offered this nation of Israel and the same peace that he offers us now is a tranquility in the midst of a storm. Yeah, that, that's what it is. It, it's a sense of calmness when you should be losing your mind. Yeah, yeah, you, you, listen, you still got the layoff notice and folks still ain't acting right in your life, but yet still you have this calmness about yourself. The Hebrew word for that is shalom. And it actually means that. It means a calmness in the midst of problems and circumstances and situations. You see, you see, because Israel, because of, because of their disobedience and their sinfulness, God had raised up a nation that was coming against them. Problem is, they didn't even really know it. And the reason why is because they had become so arrogant. And it's a shame because that, that's what we see so much in the, in the world in which we live today. But let me bring it home a little bit because we see a sense of arrogance, yes, even in the church. We see a sense of arrogance even in the pulpit. And God is going to judge that. When you cannot submit yourself unto the will of God, when you cannot submit yourself unto the word of God, God will deal with you. And when you will not hear the man of God that God has sent to you, God will deal with you. You see, because he has no other choice but to tell you himself. And God desires us to Humble ourselves before him. Why? Because our peace is closely related to our trusting him. If you can never trust God, you'll never have the peace of God. If you never put your faith in God and say that no matter what's going on in my life, God, I know that you've got me. Even though the winds are billowing, the waves are crashing against the boat. Lord, I still know that you've got me. Even if death invades our ranks and you take away that loved one that I love so dearly, God, you're still in control. If I lose my job, God, I'm trusting that you got something better for me. Therefore, I can have peace even when the bills are piling up. I can still have peace. You see, you see, you see what, what, what peace does for you in your life, like I said, it gives you this calming effect. But did you not know that that's not just for you? There are other folk that are watching you. 
And they need to know how to live and walk in peace and not get all bent out of shape. Where we get most of our problems at. Because we don't know how to trust God and to operate in that peace that he gives us. Look at here, look at here. He, 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 he names five things, but the last thing he names is the Prince of Peace. The, the, the first thing he names here, he names is, is his name shall be wonderful. And what, what this speaks of, this talks about the awesomeness of God. I, I call it the godness of God. He's the only one that can operate in this world. No one else can operate in this world. He is God all by himself. And listen here, he's sovereign all by himself. He don't need us to uplift him and to build him up. Why? Because he's simply wonderful. <laughs> I know sometimes we talk about things this being wonderful. But listen, ain't nothing wonderful like God. He's wonderful. He's wonderful all by himself. He don't need to be propped up. He don't need to be pumped up. He's wonderful all by himself. He's wonderful in my life. Children of Israel didn't get this. But not only is he wonderful, the text here said that he is a counselor. No, 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 no. This gives up to his, his guidance, his direction that he offers us. The reality of it is, is that most time we don't want to hear what his direction is for our lives. We'll, we'll, we'll listen, we'll, 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 we'll go to psychologists and psychiatrists and we'll hear what they have to say. But what about the word of God? Because, because that, that's where we get our counseling from. It's from the word of God. It, it, it's not what some PhD has taught me. It's the word of God that teaches me, that gives me good counseling. You see, because the PhD is flawed. But God's word is not flawed, it's inerrant. There's no errand in his word. And here's the other thing. God's word is true. If God's word says it, you can take it to the bank. If God's word declare it, it's for you. We have no authority to declare or decree anything. It's the word of God that declares it. And he's a counselor. Stop, stop running to friends to get advice. Stop, stop, stop running to folk who have just as big a problem as you do to get advice on how to get out of your situation. Oh, Lord, I had to, I had, I had to learn that the hard way. You, you, you can't just trust anybody and everybody. Why, why, why would I go to, to, to someone whose who's learning is limited? God is omniscient. He knows everything. He even knows the condition of my heart. He knows my motives. And there's time that God has to counsel me and get me out of my emotions. But he gives us direction. He counsels us. He gives us instructions. 
Not only is he wonderful, not only is he a counselor, but Lord, he is the mighty God. This speaks of his deity. This talks of his divine presence. And what this text tells us that, 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 that Jesus was fully man and fully God all at the same time. In other words, Jesus could do anything. If you don't believe me, look at it. He, he, he walked on water. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And the last thing that told us that Jesus was God was that he rose from the dead on the third day. Only a mighty God could do something like that. He's the mighty God. In other words, there's nothing that escapes his power. So listen here, whatever you're going through, whatever you're up against, if you just put your trust in the almighty God, you just put your trust in him, he can fix it. Show you, show, show you, show you how, how bad God is. There, there, there's times that I've been up against some stuff. And I didn't know how to pray. But, but, but everybody, can, everybody can pray this prayer. It's really just two words. Lord, fix it. That's three words. Lord, fix it. And he already knows how to fix it. He already knows what to do in your circumstance, in your situations. Because he is God. He's the mighty God. He's all powerful. He can do all things. And he asked the question, is there anything too hard for God? Absolutely not. Nothing that's too hard for my God. And understand that these children of Israel, this nation of Judah, they would come to understand that. Come to understand it in a hard way, though. And understand, we don't have to have this the hard way. If we would just listen, obey, and obey God's word and become doers of God's word, we would submit ourselves to his awesome power. We would submit ourselves to his Holy Spirit because that's where the power comes in at. If you want power, begin to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. He's a mighty God. But here we see he's even the everlasting father. And what this tells us is the relational aspect of God. That he is our father. And if you are a good father out there, you know how to take care of what's yours. You know how to take care of your children and then be a blessing to your children. Well, if we as earthly fathers... This is what the Bible says. If we as earthly fathers know how to give our children good gifts, how much more will God give to us? You see, this is the relational aspect of Jesus and of God. You must have a relationship with him. He must be your father, not just your God, but he must be your father. And he's an everlasting father. 
In other words, Jesus had no beginning and he has no end. He's always been here. He is everlasting. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There's no end to him. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. There, 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 there's no end to him. There, there, there's no end to him in our lives. Because once you've come into that right relationship with him, when you make that connection with him, God will never let go of you. He's the everlasting father. He knows how to be a good father. And even if, you, even if you've never experienced what a good father looks like on this side, I'm a witness that you have that good father relationship with the father which is in heaven. Put so much stock into earthly people. Things down here on this earth. Things that are temporal. Because every father, earthly father, will die. Every earthly father is going to go on to the other side. But here Jesus said that even 2,000 years ago, he's still actively working in my life. He's still protecting me like a good father protects me. He still provides for me just like a good father provides for me. I acknowledge that. I know that. I know that I'm not here on my own accord. I know it had to become from an awesome father. This is what he provides. But here's the one. He's the prince of peace. And understand that there's anything that we need in this world right now. It is peace. Peace in this nation. Peace in this world. Israel and Hamas are back at war again. Ukraine and Russia are still warring. There are wars that you don't, don't even make the news. There, 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 there are some family wars that are going on. The Hatfields and the McCoys ain't the only families beefing. There, 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 there's, there's, there's some wars going on on the inside of families. There's some strains. There's some tug of wars that's going on. There's a political war that's going on in this world, in this nation. We don't even realize how divided we have become as a nation. But God is still on the throne. No matter who's in the White House, no matter who's on the, the, the Senate and the House of Representatives, it doesn't matter how, who's on the Supreme Court or anything like that. God is still on the throne. And even in the midst of all of this turmoil, we still have peace. You can still have peace. The Bible tells us that in the last days that nation shall rise against nation. And that's what's going on. Did you, did you not know that that word nation in the Greek means ethos, which is where we get our name, word ethnicity from. 
It is the root word for that. So it's not to my surprise that there is such a racial divide in this world today. Why? Because the Bible speaks of it. But even in the midst of us as black folk, we can still have peace. No matter what they do, no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, you can still experience the peace of God. It ain't necessary for us to pick up arms. Long as we got the word of God. Long as we're living in accordance with the word of God. Long as we're walking in the will of God. You can have peace. But it's up to you. Jesus in, in John's gospel, 14th chapter, when he was on his way to the cross, he gives his disciples this word. He said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives peace, but it's Jesus' peace. It's, it's a peace that's able to endure circumstances, tribulations, and trials. It's a peace that's able to overcome heartache and pain. It's a peace that's able to endure through afflictions, through sickness, through ailing, through backbiting, through backstabbing. There's a peace there. And it only comes by the Prince of Peace. And Jesus is that Prince of Peace. As a matter of fact, the angels declared that. They said that when he came, that he'd bring good tidings, peace and goodwill to all men. This was at his birth. He comes to offer you peace. So what will be your decision? Will you receive the peace that God gives you? Or are you still fighting and warring against people you ain't got no business fighting and warring against? Will, will, will you keep on fighting battles that you have no reason fighting? All you got to do is operate in the peace that God gives you. What, 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 why do you keep fighting when God says, I came to give you peace? So what they offended you? Still got peace. You see, you see, peace is, is that inter tranquility that nobody can take from me. It's deep down on the inside of me. It's one of the fruit of the spirits. So therefore, it's inside of me. I take peace everywhere I go. And I won't let you or anybody else disrupt that peace. Because it comes from Jesus Christ. It was a gift that he gave me. Yeah. And I'm going to operate in it. Listen, listen I, I know some, sometimes it makes us look weak when you're operating in peace, when you're not fighting people. But listen, don't worry about it. Because I'm not here to fight you. 
But what you need to realize is that when you come against me, I'm not fighting. You got God to fight. Because it's God that fights my battles. I stand and declare the word of God. And if I'm going to come against you with anything, it's going to be with this word of God. Because what I will not let anybody do is tamper with this. This is the word of God. You can talk about me all you want to, but you better not mess with the word of God. And I have that peace. Because it's in the word that it tells me that I have that peace. I don't have to fight. I can just rest in the Lord. I have that peace. I love his peace. Because it's what's getting me through day to day. It's what brought me this far. Can you imagine? They had to fight every war that was brought to us. That's why some folk look older than they really are. You've been fighting too long. You've been, you've been letting the devil creep in and put stress on you, putting anxiety on you, putting worry on you. But you let the peace of God come in. You, you let him come in and take care of all of those things. Because peace was given at a price, an awesome price. You know the story, how God came down to offer peace. It was declared that peace would come to all men at his birth. He was birthed, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born of a virgin. There he lie, the prince of peace, that he might bring peace. And he rose up and waxed well with men and with God. He went about demonstrating his peace. Never once did Jesus pick up a hand to hit anyone. Never once did he say a harsh word to anyone. Why? Because he was the prince of peace. Everything that came out of him was peaceful, but yet with authority. And that's what we really need to get from this, is that, that, that we can have that authority, but yet be peaceful. Yes, he healed the sick and he raised the dead. They lied on him, accused him of being a blasphemer. Here he is, the Prince of Peace, going to Calvary's cross. Came with a purpose. He knew he had a purpose. He knew that he would die. That was the price of the peace that he offers us. They took him to Calvary. There he was. They stretched him out. They nailed peace to the cross. Nailed him in his hand and in his feet. Put a crown of thorns on peace's head. Yes. Hung him high between his father in heaven and his mother on earth. 
They put him between two thieves. He suffered, bled, and died. Gave up the ghosts. He died that Friday. They buried him in a tomb, but on the third day, he rose with all power. Heaven and earth is in his hand. He is that prince of peace. He comes to give you peace. But the choice is yours. You can keep fighting. You can keep swinging. You can keep hitting. But judgment is coming. All of us must give an account for what we do on this earth. Every word that comes out of your mouth, if it's not a peaceful word, you're going to give account for it. Come to give peace. There he is, the Prince of Peace. is sitting at the right hand side of the Father. He's praying for us. He's made the intercession for us. He's coming back. But this time he's coming back as judge. He's going to judge the sins of the world. And if you have not repented of your sin, if you have not given Christ your life, you have not surrendered your life unto the Lord Jesus Christ, you will give an account for it. You don't have to believe me. It's in the word of God. It's in the Bible. But the choice is yours. He's coming back again. And I look to reign with him. He is the prince of peace. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. Is there one? Is there one that will come? Maybe see it.